Hello, listeners. Welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And this week, this this session, we are um, happy to introduce our special guest, Mr. Tad Morgan. Welcome, Tad. Hello. I am delighted to be here. Thank you both. Yeah. Tad, tell, tell us, I know that you were doing this kaiju battle thing for the annex theater for the annex theater tell us yes indeed tell us a little about that and then and then tell us a little about yourself yeah so that is a fun project uh to kind of drive traffic towards annex's kind of gaming uh identity uh it was a bunch of high cr D monsters thrown into an arena uh, I, I happen to have won uh one of the battles so that's a little a little feather in my cap yeah, yes, uh, you stole the championship from me. It's okay. It's okay. It's true. Well, hey, we're we're one and one. So, yes. you know, maybe maybe next time it'll be the tiebreaker. Um, I am really I excited. <laughs> I am really excited though about uh it's I, it sounds like the next one is going to be coming up on uh March 5th, I want to say. Wow. Um yeah. and we're doing a list of all third-party monsters, um, which was something that kind of came out of all of the madness of the last month and a half around the OGL, and oh, and sure. so uh, we all we put our heads together with the the folks at Annex who are running it, and and kind of came up with okay, if if we're doing this again, how do we do it to show support for the community that actually makes this game great? That's um, great. I love that. That that is yeah. a spectacular idea. So it's a, a list of 20 non-Wizards of the Coast monsters. Uh, I'm very excited. Perfect. Wow. That, well, it was a lot of fun to watch uh, and to and to donate to and, <laughs> and influence <laughs> right the battle on. in various ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I definitely uh, I hope hope some of the listeners for, for this podcast will join in in, in I, the next one, too. I am fairly certain that the only reason I won the first time is because Tad wasn't playing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not at all. No. Uh, that, and everybody you, liked the skeletons. That's and true. And so they were saving me, my butt. <laughs> well, and you... You won with the Lich, which like that's a that's achievement unlocked right there. Like that's huge. It yeah. was it was really fun. It was that's a tough the lowest, too. Yeah, yeah, that was the lowest hit point total of the entire spread. Yeah, and when you, I pulled uh, the Lich, you came out on top. Yeah, we we went into the other room to kind of like do our own research, and I was like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's a tough one to survive. Through. Yeah, not good. So, yeah. how, how long have you been playing role playing games? Uh, I started with. But, you know, back in the TSR days with Advanced Second Edition, AD&D Second Edition. I started on the, the same early... one. That was the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Calculate that Thacko, baby. Right. Um, I can't remember if Gygax was still part of TSR at that time or if he had been shaken out already. Like, when you look at the history of D&D, like, the stuff that just happened doesn't seem that bad because like there was some anyway it, uh, it is it is a wild history there's actually yeah. a book that just recently got published uh specifically going over the the history of D D. I i can't remember mm-hmm. the name of it and and poor dave arneson and yeah anyway um so I, i've i've had a you know a long uh fascination with the game i'm also an actor and um I feel like there's uh, a delicious sort of synergy between, and I think Will Wheaton said it best when he was talking about, you know, I I was on Star Trek and Will was on Star Trek and had to imagine all those scary monsters coming up on the video screen. And he was like, yeah, D&D was sort of a, a training ground for what I had to do for what he had to do uh, in that show. Um, that is and I feel so the cool. same way. Yeah. I yeah, that, like, that. Mm-hmm. that, you know, every everything that I do can get either uh, plagiarized for D&D or is imaginative fuel for characters that I am portraying on stage or in voiceover or I have a, just a couple screen credits to my name. But wow. I, I've also had the pleasure of playing D&D with, with actors in the mm-hmm. past. And uh, as players, it is so much fun to have a player who's willing to jump in and do, do some do some accents or, sure. or you know, really dig in and and portray a character uh, in in epic moments. Whether that's just you know goofy fun or whether that's like true emotional moments that the actor's like ready, I'm ready to jump in and and be a part of that. It's so much fun that way. Yeah, I have I have a friend that I play with often who is all about like 
you know, we need to find this character's voice. And it may not necessarily be an accent, but he's always, he's really dedicated to the idea of like, I want, I want it to be clear when I am speaking as my character versus when I'm out of character, just suggesting something, or, you know, like that finding that division between what does this person sound like when they actually talk um, can be so much fun. Well, it's awesome to have you on the show, Tad. I'm so glad to, uh, to have you here. Would you like to help us with some next session help? I would be delighted. All right. Absolutely. First question comes from Peanuts Brittles. Not Pe- just Peanuts Brittles. Not just one peanut. It's Plural many peanuts. peanuts. It's the Peanuts Brittle. And, well, multiple brittles. <laughs> it's multiple peanuts and multiple brittles. <laughs> all the peanut brittles. All the peanut brittles. All the peanuts. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, peanuts Brittles says, soul transfer that goes wrong. Hey, all. So one of my players wanted to play a Frankenstein-like wizard that would bring back her husband from the dead by invoking the soul of her husband into a corpse made out of stitched body pieces. You get the picture. Now, my question is, what type of creature could slip in during the invocation ritual and enter the body instead of the husband's soul, other than a demon or a devil? Um, I'm looking for something more necromantic or eldritchy. Uh, P.S. Her husband was a chaotic neutral human, if that can help you. Hmm. What type of creature? I I love this question because it, it takes me to a homebrew that I always want to do, which is this this should be a possibility anytime anyone's doing any kind of reincarnation or or even the frickin' uh, you know, the diamond dust like uh what is that third level spell? Anyway. Oh uh, 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 yes, I know I know what you're talking about. Um starts with an r anyway i i think i think you know necromantic magic like this should always have a, a danger of like oh we don't quite know who's going to show like who who's opening their eyes right now um but that a tangent again <laughs> no i i agree i think i think there's like a real um a real joy in the in the surprise of this in the yeah. in the you know this didn't go quite the way you wanted i also like the idea that it could be in addition to so, sure. um, you know, you came back, but you brought something with you kind of mm-hmm. kind of concept. Well, it takes me immediately to Practical Magic. That, oh, the sure. Movie you yeah, yeah. Like. <laughs> like, you can bring him back, but it's not going to be the same thing that yeah. you yeah. want it to be. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's a common theme across, like, Pet Cemetery. And, sure. And, it, like, all of these, uh, like, uh, late 80s, early 90s is the, is <laughs> dead spell, resurrecting movies. Is the spell you were thinking of uh, reincarnate? Uh, revivify. Revivify. Oh, yeah, when, when you bring somebody the, like, back from the... The short-term one that as soon as a cleric hits third level... Is it third level? Maybe it's fifth level. Um that the the game just changes because once you fail those three death saves at lower levels that's game over but then as soon as revivify hits the table it's like well it's different now <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's a that's a, a brand new uh bring it in it's a third level necromancy so the cleric can pat- cast it at that level can. five i think is, yeah. is when yeah. they get third level spells um but so the the question's asking about creatures one of the first that came to my mind was a revenant oh um, yeah which in terms of power level might be like they're they're scary um and if you were you know if you're handing that to a pc to say like here here's your new your new pet that could be unbalancing but it might be interesting to to play off that and say you know here's your here's your husband and he's back but whatever it is that's piggybacking on this necromancy like has a purpose and is really gunning for a person or a creature or you know oh recovering goodness. something like it it could it could sort of download a quest mm-hmm. you know for the for the adventure yeah I'm, my first thought actually is that um i'm not even sure you really need like a full-on monster manual um monster in this case like right. especially if you wanted to lean really heavily into the sort of eldritch direction um I think I think you could have like a, a a homebrew spirit, you know, or a homebrew uh, sort of creature that is just is just here and has its own goal, uh, whatever you think works best into the into the plot uh, itself here. Um, although Revenant, I, I do think is a really fun idea, especially if if uh, if this turns into some kind of a combat with the um, 
with the with this creature then having the stat block certainly is really really yeah. really nice would you make it so it's just the revenant or would you make it so it's the husband soul and the revenant and they have to kind of battle it out and if you can successfully Smeagol, yeah, yeah if you can if you can expel the revenant you'll still have to you'll have to fight it if you can expel it into a different form but you might still save the husband I'm just trying to. I'm feeling for this player. I'm like, oh man, this would this would really suck if like their whole goal was to bring the husband back and then it, you give it, all the way away. Like you really can't do it. Or mm -hmm. maybe that's a maybe that's a good way to um, heal and move on. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. This doesn't seem like a healthy processing of the husband's <laughs> passing. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true therapist. <laughs> yeah. Um, I could also see, to Adam's point, uh, having it be a character swap uh, in the in the body, but it's like, you know, Great Aunt Muriel shows up. <laughs> it's like, you, I thought you were calling for me. So, what is it? What do you want? What, are you treating yeah. my dogs right? Where's my casserole dish? You said you would love it. I know that that one's not mine because it doesn't have the scratch from Uncle Mortimer. What I love about that is <laughs> is then you're stuck with Great Aunt Miriam. <laughs> you can't get rid of and is in like a indestructible undead body. <laughs> right, right. Who's following you around now, constantly talking to you yeah. about stuff. <laughs> and with, then you try Try to put her Frankenstein strength. Yeah, yeah. With Frankenstein strength. <laughs> I just don't think that the skin is doing anything for me. That my complexion isn't great anymore. Why did you choose this skin? Why did <laughs> Why are we always going on adventures? We should go on a vacation sometime. <laughs> oh man. It would be it'd be incredible. I would love that. A different kind of creature. <laughs> Uh, apologies to anyone who has a great Aunt Muriel. You know, <laughs> you know that character reminds me a lot of the sister of Linda's sister from Bob's Burgers. Um, is basically the the character you're doing oh, right there. Yeah. What is what what is her name? Um, Gail. Gail. Um, funny enough, uh, what what Alyssa is talking about, I actually did in a campaign. <laughs> Every time, it no, it doesn't matter. Whatever we talk about, Adam goes. Well, yeah. I actually did this. You should you should have a, a button to push, the, <laughs> yeah. like plays a sound cue whenever that happens. <laughs> no, I think it should be a wah wah. There it is. Um, and, and it worked out hilariously. Um, the in in that particular campaign, the the characters had this sort of gem. Uh, which they could use to generate power, and they were going to use that gem to generate this big gear, which was then going to power a car, basically. Yeah, they wanted to make it. Wanted to make a car. Yeah, Alyssa, <laughs> Alyssa was in this campaign, nice. um, and one of the players, I said, you have to put something into it. You have to, you have to put like an energy or something into the gem in order to get it to do it. One of the players wanted to summon an ancestor mm. um, and use their spirit and put that into the gem. Uh, and I had them roll dice to determine what ancestor they summon. And they rolled really well on the summoning, but really poorly on the selection. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they summoned with a lot of power, but they got their Uncle, uncle Mortimer, uh, who then complained the entire time. And the player had to like constantly like reassure Uncle Mortimer that... Uh, that things are going to be better, and I got to be this this hilarious NPC trapped inside this gem, <laughs> powering the the car that they were driving, uh, which was just so much fun to to constantly pull out. That's great. So I think Revenant is my top go to, and I I would play it that the husband comes back, everyone celebrates, all is well, and slowly over the course of the campaign, he starts doing things. What? I have two other suggestions. Okay. I, I think Revenant is a really good suggestion and and uh, and maybe is the best way to go. But my two other suggestions are a lich, um, which conceptually is a difficult thing to pull through, but you could do a lich after he was slain and he's brought yeah, back. Yeah, right? as long as the phylactery is still, right. still intact somewhere, then you could have just picked up a lich right at the moment that some other team of heroes oh, no. you know, exactly. lopped, the, lopped the head off, yeah. My my other favorite one, and, and uh, Tad, I think you'll like this as a fan of, of second edition, is you bring back, or maybe partially bring back, Vecna. <laughs> um, and Vecna is... Uh, this went from zero to 100 real quick. Right, right. Yeah. Ve Vecna is like a... Um, uh, actually, I think in fifth edition, he's actually considered one of the gods. Um yeah, uh, and he was like a wildly powerful necromancer, 
and there are artifacts and they're in in second edition these artifacts were so cool they were they were so yeah so hus- husband could show up just with the eye and hand of vecta like incorporated inside him right um <laughs> uh, like you just you just stumbled when you were gathering pieces <laughs> you managed it, to accidentally grab the the eye and the hand <laughs> yeah and and maybe that's how those artifacts manifest is it's not right. necessarily that they were they were extant beforehand mm. but you just stumbled onto the right ritual to sort of manifest them in oh, this man prime material world that would be that would be spectacular too and, <laughs> and then you have to decide if you want to harvest them from uh oh, from yeah. reanimated husband is, um, <laughs> i have a question um of someone who never played two, second edition is vecna a straight up D creation because yeah. wasn't vecna also in i know i haven't watched stranger things but wasn't vecna also in stranger things well stranger things actually did um hilariously they the the characters in Stranger Things name the monsters based oh. on their D&D experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the very first monster they fight in Stranger Things, without giving too many spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Stranger Things, um, is is actually named after as a, as the, I think, Demigorgon, I think it's the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's, it's named after the monster they're playing in, against in their D&D game that they're having trouble sort of defeating. Oh, okay. But in but in D and D lore, Demogorgon is a two headed baboon with snake arms. They very very different in terms of its uh, characterization from what the show does. Right. Uh, but the player, but but the characters, the little kids in the show, don't know what the monster looks like. They only right. know that it's a you know horrifying monster from another world. Well, I think the mini that they use is actually fairly fairly representative of the Demogorgon. Yeah, but the conceptual, you know, conceptual relationships still still hold. Yeah, I guess I mean of the real monster, of the one that's right. actually attacking them. They they haven't yeah. yet seen it. Oh, right, right, right. I see what you're saying. Um the uh um Vecna, I you know, boy, that's a good question, Alec- uh, Alyssa, about where where does the You almost original... called me Alecna. Oh, Alecna. <laughs> <laughs> I heard good it. Good job, Alecna. Thanks. Where does Vecna I come he, from? I think he comes from Greyhawk. Was that I, a, like original Greyhawk story? Greyhawk stuff? was um, one of Gygax's, yeah, originally from Greyhawk, and a lot of the you know people like Tensor and um, all of the famous wizards in spells in Fifth Edition were characters of Greyhawk, who were actually portmanteaus of designers from original. You know, first edition D and D, second edition D and D, all that stuff. Wow! So it traces back uh, mm-hmm. really far, way way beyond my original experiences of of D and D too. Yeah, and um, then Vecna was killed by his lieutenant Kaz, who was a vampire, and in some sources is the first vampire instead of Strahd. There's a lot of. It's also one of the of only war. ways to destroy the eye in the hand of Vecna is you have to get Kaz Kaz's sword. Is that right. where Morden Morden Kynan Morden Kanan comes from? I don't also, know if he's Greyhawk? a Greyhawk wizard. He might be. Yeah, it's an interesting question. That, to to your point earlier, Tad, the the uh, the history of all of this is yeah. is very very interesting and, yep. and weaved from many different uh, places as well. Yeah. Um. Well, still, even even with those suggestions, I wanted to throw those out there. Peanuts Brittles, if you're doing like a higher level campaign, um, then something like uh, a Lich or Vecna would be a great way to introduce effectively a really big bad guy uh yeah. to come in there um but i still think revenant is my is my favorite or or un, unnamed you know eldritchy monster or um, you know aunt gail or aunt gail <laughs> i'd probably do aunt gail for the for just for the humor factor um i love the idea of uh, a mistake that the players then have to live with that follows them around everywhere <laughs> That's... I, I also like the idea that aunt gail could leave at any time and the husband could come in but she doesn't want to yeah i like it <laughs> it was boring on the other side this is more fun i don't want to just wait over there what are you guys up to show me my dogs <laughs> your dogs died no they didn't i would know <laughs> i would know they would have met up with me <laughs> <laughs> Dog heaven is right next to where I am. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Peanuts Brittle. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, let's go ahead and take our 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 little ad break and oh, come we'll back do, for we'll an break. Ask a GM. All right. <laughs> 
That sounds good. And break. Hey, and we're back. Hey, we're back. Hey. What a great break. Hello. Did you have a good break? I yeah. did. Do anything fun? It was delightful. Oh, so oh, yeah. good. <laughs> I I chugged a whole pot of coffee. Whoa. Yeah. We're going to have to um, install bathrooms down it was, here. It was tough because we don't actually have a coffee pot, so I had to... I had to just make it in like a regular in your mouth, like cooking. Yeah, pot. you had to you had to brew it in. <laughs> I had to mouth. brew it in my mouth. Instant coffee, I just boiling just water, pour it in my mouth, and then just shake my mouth Stand around. Stand upside down. Yeah, <laughs> gross. Yeah, where uh, my, my tongue is is very burned. <laughs> okay, well, perfect. The next question is an ask a GM question. Um, Ooh. Tad, in case you uh, weren't aware. We have two different sessions. We have the next session help, which is generally mm -hmm. questions that are for someone's immediate campaign. And then ask a GM is more general. That's what I like to say. Um, <laughs> As if there's like a real distinction. Sometimes that doesn't really work and we just need something to fill the segment. And then an, a next session help becomes an ask a GM. But uh, in this case. Oftentimes after the GM is like about a set of rules or something. Yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. That's where that gets classified. So a full grown grizzly. Oh. A full, uh, wow. An entire grizzly, like a full grizzly. A full-grown grizzly is asking I'm, us this question. I'm glad that we, we caught him not during hibernation. And, and, and <laughs> Technically, this. grizzlies are torpid, not oh. hibernating. Oh, it shows what it, I know. Tad, that's, this is why you're here. <laughs> that's why you're here. That's why you're here, Tad. I don't want to embarrass myself fact. in front of other Especially. in front of other bear species that, that yeah, are shaking their yeah. head and putting their hand in. You don't want to embarrass yourself eyes. in front of a full-grown grizzly. Yeah, right. They right. will kill you. Yeah, yeah that's a, a show of weakness. Yeah. <laughs> um, with grizzlies, do you is that the play dead one or is that the just run away? You're dead oh, anyway. Boy, that's a good question. Does it make noise? Uh, I think if a if a grizzly wants to mess with you. I don't think there's much you can do. <laughs> it's, it is, it is. You're done. Run, yeah, run faster than the slowest person. Or, or, or try to make such an end that would be worthy of song. Go the Rohan oh, route. Oh, there you, know? you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would probably be yelling and screaming and being trying to be that loud person, regardless. And then I go, "Crap! Is this the one that you're supposed to play dead? Damn it! <laughs> I'd, right. I'll do the play dead, and that way, if the yelling and screaming is wrong." You'll attract all the attention, and I can get away. Oh, thanks. Love you. <laughs> I'm, I know that there's different ways to get away from bears, except for polar bears. You're all the way screwed with polar bears. Oh, yeah, because yeah. they've got guns. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really vicious. It's all that Coca-Cola they're drinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, all right. Um, a full-grown grizzly says, ways for a scout to feel cool without just bypassing slash trivializing combat encounters. I've run games for years and somehow never experienced this scenario. I have a player that really wants to be hard into the whole scouting ahead thing, which is awesome, and I want it to be rewarding, but so far it's been frustrating. If he finds signs of an enemy, he goes back to tell the others and they avoid the area, thus making the whole combat encounter I made worthless. I know there's the human approach of, hey man, combat's part of the game and you can't just avoid it every time. Obviously, your character will want to limit how often they risk their lives, but you got to dumb them down for the sake of fun. But surely there's something I can do to help make his choices feel like it's cool without breaking everything. Any ideas or ways you handle similar characters? What an interesting concept. You know, I don't think I've ever had a player want to be specifically the scout of the group. I don't think that's ever oh, come up for me. I see it all the time. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's... I, it, so the way that rogues or thieves are built in these games often makes me want to pull my hair out because it incentivizes a, a gameplay loop that is non-collaborative. It's like, oh, we send the sneaky guy to do their own thing, and the rest oh, of the party sure. sits around and waits, and then whatever the sneaky, like the results of the sneaky thing will sometimes bypass an encounter just like Fulgrim Grizzly is, is saying. Right. Or yeah, or or to to, my existence. to his point, trivial, trivializing it, mm -hmm. right? You know, we mm -hmm. we ambush them or whatever, and the fight is over before it begins. Right. Um, hmm. I can definitely see a challenge in that. 
So one of the things that I keep talking about with some of my friends who are also running games is if it's not on the character sheet, it doesn't really matter. So, so like, I, I think to the point of the question of, you know, you can have that, that conversation with a player of like, hey, this is, this is maybe against the spirit of the game or you, and it, it, it requires some legwork as a GM, um, turn scouting into a mini game, have it, uh, you know, have it, give it some mechanical consequences that the players can actually leverage with their numbers on their sheets. So if scouting goes well, we get advantage on the first round of combat with everything that we do. Or if scouting goes well, if you're using miniatures, that means you as the party gets to put, you know, gets to set up your position at the beginning of the encounter and then the, yeah. the enemy has to react to that. Um, you know, you have to design ways and sort of little sort of miniature mechanics that incentivize the the play style that a player wants to have without making it pull away from the standard gameplay that most characters are built to do which is bash monsters right i mean it makes sense that the the reward for scouting can be you have to go through these guys but mm -hmm. now you know what to prepare for um and then you could also be like Maybe you hear, maybe you wouldn't have noticed ahead of time that they're arguing over a certain kind of treasure that you wouldn't have known to look for. Like mm -hmm. th there's got to be some some nugget of of information that they can pull that wouldn't necessarily break and end the encounter. I, I actually find this is a really common uh, a really common GM uh, challenge. A lot of a lot of uh, GMs have both new and really experienced GMs. Where the it seems like the only possible answers um, of a player attempting to do something are all or nothing, right? Um, binary, right? Yeah. This this sort of binary concept, and and to be fair, Dungeons and Dragons especially uh, really promotes that you're either mm -hmm. successful or you're not successful, and it doesn't really help usher you into the idea that there is an in between. Uh, being yeah. successful doesn't mean you beat all the bad guys. It can mean just to your point, Ted, like. You get a little bit of an advantage. You know a little mm -hmm. bit more than you would have otherwise, um, and you can really make that uh, a long spectrum where none of the answers are. You completely bypassed the bad guys, um, right. and and instead you get a you know a varying level of of set of bonuses. I, I agree with you. I think the idea of in this scenario, uh, I have a player who wants to do this a lot. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. this is the way that they want to be contributing to the group. Um, and what I what I might add to that is to have a conversation with the player and say, um, you know, what makes you feel successful through your character? Um, because if the if the thing that you feel successful about is you gave some ahead of the time warning, that can be accomplished in all sorts of ways. Right. Um, whereas if the if the thing that they want is that they want to be able to avoid you know, avoid a combat altogether, you can play with that idea too by adding more combats <laughs> functionally and, right, and providing there's... the opportunity like, oh, you avoided that one, but you know, you're you going to can... run into this other one every yeah, year. Yeah, frying, <laughs> frying pan and fire. And right, then, yeah. right yeah. exactly. What, what if every time this, the person is going to go scout, you roll a dice and on a certain number, um, they find the enemies or uh, that, that are going to ambush them. On another number, they find a cool location like a tower or or an encounter like a lost child. And then on a like uh, one to five, they get captured by enemy scouts because they there can be enemy scouts too that are trying sure. to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they, they see an enemy scout, like that could be a reward as well. Like that they the enemy knows we're here, we got to book it or... Um, yeah, but then if they get captured, that that won't make them feel good, but it also will make the other party have to come to their rescue, which could also be an interesting thing. Right, pulls the rest of the group into it. Yeah, I makes, would in, instead of having it a fully random table though, I would build it based off the scout character's competency. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like the that it's the role that they are making that determines those outcomes. So that they feel like, oh, I, you know, I specced into this skill. I want it to I wanted to have have resonance, right? Um, I, I I do like the idea of of having so many um, uh, possibilities in the in the results in the reward of the scouting, and I like the idea of it can go wrong. You're taking a risk. 
Yeah. Right. Um, this is you putting yourself out there. Yeah. And, and the, the risk, uh, I'm, I'm the most common risk to me feel like exactly what you, what you said, Alyssa, you, the, the scout gets captured or you run into their scout. And now the two of you are, are trying to stop each other because whoever oh, yeah. makes it back to their own group. Yeah. First. Right. <laughs> if, if, mm-hmm. if the scout bolts, the enemy scout would alert their group. Right. And a difficult. So you have to, you have to ensue. stop them. Uh, uh, and you're you're by yourself in that. Although obviously that's you know split the party and and other challenges that come along with that. But but what a fun you know turnaround to those to those ideas. Um, in my mind, this kind of question is always about sitting down as a game master and saying what are what is the wide range of possibilities that this circumstance can play out. Um, and it's about sort of walking through in, in my in my head of somebody goes and they scouts ahead, what could happen yeah. uh, in those scenarios? And I think that, that there are a lot of opportunities to, to play around with that. I also wonder whether or not there are ways to give the scout other things to do where they feel like their scouting is still useful inside of the combat scenario itself. Right. Like, uh, you know, they, even just having a view of the battlefield uh while staying hidden being able to identify somebody gearing up for an attack or or you know you're picking off the archers hiding in the trees or something along those lines where you d- are designing your battles specifically to say your your usefulness to this group is not just the scouting ahead part it is Tac- it is more the, tactical it is tactical right it is the the tactical orientation in the in the battles that are happening as well, and and depending on who your player is, if you know if if you don't want to front load that as a GM, you could also back end it of like, okay, scout, give me a perception or stealth roll. That result gets you a certain number of tokens, mm. and you can use you can cash those tokens in to say, oh yeah, I knew about that ahead of time, and here's you know a, a bonus we can get against it, or I know these guys have a vulnerability against X, or you know. Um, because that's something that I I always want to do is like okay how how can I make less work for a dungeon master yeah. like are there are there systems that we can streamline this process and still get the same sort of player incentive and and uh, benefit and yeah. and especially when you can give the uh, the storytelling back to the players right yes tell yes. tell me tell me why there's a vulnerability here you know mm-hmm. the, mechanically you're gonna get advantage or you get to you know interrupt somebody's turn or something like that um but i want you to tell me why that's true yeah Uh, what did you learn and and that that kind of thing works so well for being able to include everybody it really feels like a collaborative storytelling process and so long as you give it a framework you give it boundaries Mm -hmm. of what question you're asking um that that can go a long way i uh i read a quote recently on one of the many D &D Uh, subreddits um, that said players will optimize the fun out of a game if you give them the chance Mm -hmm. Um, if they can use scouting to avoid playing they will (laughs) yeah Uh, just because it seems like a good idea to avoid uh, risk taking um, or you know spending resources not necessarily because they don't want to engage in the combat but they'll but they will like if you give the player the opportunity to always miss the battle they will they will always miss the battle Right, if they're if they're role playing, that is the smart choice. Right, <laughs> let's not let's not fight the scary monster. Yeah, although that is where you know making them a bigger part of the storytelling process comes comes back around right. to yeah. to helping you with that because it's not just um, hey you're you are the the player trying to defeat the bad guys. It is now what's most interesting. Is exactly. it most interesting for you to skip this, or is it more interesting for you to like? Uh, get captured, uh, and and being able to have that back into the player's hands it, it, helps mm-hmm. them feel like, oh yeah, um, sometimes the most powerful choice is not the most interesting choice. It comes back around to what we've been saying, which is that being a DM is and and having players is not an us versus them or a them versus us. It's a collaborative storytelling game. We, we are all trying to make the best story we can. Yeah, right. Well, I think that's some pretty good ideas for uh, for this grizzly. <laughs> Fully grown grizzly. I'm just impressed by the grizzly's ability to type out this question and 
uh, play a game of D and D. Don't underestimate the grizzly. All right. I, yeah. I'm. I. 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 Maybe I feel terrible for it, but but uh, but I, I'm just. I'm just terribly could, impressed. It's really. It could fit so many dice in that big fuzzy paw. That's true. Oh, oh my gosh, those fireballs. <laughs> <laughs> and then I smash it. <laughs> now I want to play a bear character. <laughs> but like a legitimate bear. It's just a bear. Like you're not a class. You're not anything. You literally are trying to forage <laughs> and like, <laughs> and like, go go through stuff. You can't talk to anybody. Uh, you try to attack people for being in your territory. <laughs> like this, the, the dwarf tries to ride me. Uh, you, don't like, you don't like that. <laughs> I think Cobalt Press has bear folk in their uh, Midgard mm. setting. Nice. I played uh, um, many years ago in college. I played a werebear barbarian, uh, which was so much fun. To, that sounds to pretty dig strong. Into. Yeah. Werebear barbarian. It was so fun to <laughs> say. Fun to too. say. Yeah. <laughs> what was his name? Barry. Uh, oh boy, it should have been. No, his name was he was a he was also a half orc. So uh, his name was Gartok. Hey, thanks, a full grown grizzly. I don't I don't think I can say your name without doing a full grown grizzly. I, yeah. A full grown grizzly. A full grown. Really it gets muddy. Yeah. Thank you so much for your question. We have another question. This one comes from uh, Demodius. Ooh. Dem- Demodius. Demodius. I I like Demodius. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, Demodius asks, hey, I need advice on in-game consequences for a player using multiple concentration spells. Hmm. Last session started with the party halfway through a fight with a powerful dragon. Over the course of a couple turns, one of my players cast Haste, Heroism, and Spirit Shroud. I did not catch that all of these were concentration spells and only found out because one of the other players informed me about it after (laughs) the session. Having all of those up was a major turning point in the fight and led to the second half being substantially easier. I would rather not retcon the session and start them back at the fight, instead having in-game consequences for the character that far overextended themselves. Any thoughts? Oh, man, I have so many thoughts on this. But, like, what kind of character, what level character can cast Haste, Heroism, and Spirit Shroud? That's a lot. all you got to be is level five. Really? Yeah. That's not like a level nine... Well, haste is is a level three spell. Um, Heroism level two. Yeah, level two, and then what is spirit shroud? I think that level three. I guess I guess the issue is they are from different traditions. So you that might be a a cleric with like a cleric of time would have access to haste and also mm-hmm, heroism mm-hmm. and spirit shroud. Yeah, I think a, I think it'd so, be a special like uh, special divine domain. Spirit shroud is level three. First, I should say, I have always had a problem with the way concentration works in 5th edition. Mm. Um, It is a powerful and, I think, very important limiting factor on spells. But because of the way concentration works, I also think that it can make the creative combination of spells really boring. Uh, There's so many spells that you, you can't combine with each other in really interesting ways... Um, and this is just so, sort of generally a consequence of whenever you make a tabletop RPG that needs to be able to have strong limitations uh, for creative homebrewing um, so that people don't break the game. Concentration is a very, very important aspect to making sure the game is not broken. And at the same time, because of that, it is also sometimes less interesting. The druid being the best example of that uh, where almost all the best druid spells are all concentration based which means that uh, you're really really limited if you're not a shape-shifting druid yeah Um, I've always felt like there should be a magic item or a higher level ability that allows you to say concentrate on a second spell you just get another head (laughs) they can concentrate on the other spells done Right. Yeah. Coville's Coville's uh, <laughs> Kingdoms and Warfare. No, Strongholds and Followers. Mm. Op- sort of introduces a mechanic where wizards can start to do that. But it, yeah, it's very, very third party. <laughs> so I mean, my my first thought is just remind the player going forward. You you know, hey, you can only maintain a concentration spell. Last time it was a mistake. I didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. But if you try to do it again. The new spell overrides the previous, and we we can't. Yeah, yeah. there's there's no reason to retcon a fight because you got a rule wrong. Right. Um, 
like just say whoops and move on <laughs> and like next time you know play it out differently tell your players like ah oh, i didn't catch that last time the next time we'll we'll play it a little differently which is perfectly fine you don't have to yeah. you know go back and and completely re- recreate the whole thing but if you want to well so demodius says it was a fight with a powerful dragon right and so i was thinking that you could just like instead of retconning because i think that's the right instinct like i never want to go i never want to roll back time unless that's a plot point right um in a game <laughs> like 11th hour yeah in yeah <laughs> Um, but I do think it could be interesting, depending on who this player is and who their character is, to justify this bending of the rules by saying you were drawing on the dragon's power, mm-hmm. and now, th- now you got to pay for it. Like there's some consequence, maybe not horrific, but something that acknowledges, like, hey, what happened during that fight was theoretically impossible. Um, and your character was channeling this energy in a dangerous way. Oh, yeah. Now you're coming off of that power, um, kind of like oh, I have given birth twice now, um, coming <laughs> off of uh, the morphine, <laughs> and Ooh. suddenly you get you start getting the shakes. Like, things start happening yeah, when you start coming off of that. Adrenaline and yeah, stuff. Yeah, everything sure, comes back. Sure. So this could be levels of exhaustion. That, this was, could that be, was my thought. This could be like you have a piece of the of the dragon in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could go. You could go even further with it, and and if the character is open to it, like this might be opening a door to a multi-class. Like now, all of a sudden, their next level has to be in warlock because mm. they have a patron now. Oh, who nice. Was uh, you know who was, was influencing them during that fight? Adding some power or something to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, to that experience. I like that unexpected patron. Could be uh, against if they're cleric against their god. Sure. Uh, you know, a patron who is offering them tantalizing power to try to move them away from their god. It's much better than due to the great strain, your arm fell off. <laughs> <laughs> Pop, there it goes. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, oh, man, that was your favorite arm. <laughs> that's true, although that would be uh, really hilarious. And, and there are super cool new prosthetics available from. Uh, Oh, what book is it? I think it's the Eberron book. Oh yeah, with uh, with all the mechanical. Yeah, they're yeah. freaking rad. Is, yeah, those are, those are really cool. So the. So at, oh, go ahead. At this point, losing a limb in in fifth edition is almost a benefit because then you can kit it out with something awesome. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna chop my arm off so I can have a cool mechanical arm. That right, just sounds awesome. Right. I I I do think I I I think the instincts are are right on. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever go back and retcon, especially due to a you know rules mix up. But I do love the idea that this is a perfect opportunity to deepen a character, to to have a, a you know uh, a greater interesting mix to to explain the the pieces of it. Ooh, well, okay. What if they have damaged their brain, and the next time they try to roll a concentration spell, or they kind of try to do a concentration spell, you're gonna roll a dice. And uh, and you're gonna do that every time for a couple of sessions. If they use a concentration spell, you roll a dice, and if they hit a certain number, um, it doesn't work. Ooh, spell failure, brutal. Mm. Yeah, um, man, back that reminds me of of uh, three point five. Yep, older editions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, where they had that built-in spell failure stuff. I I like that alley because it's it's directly related to the error that was made. Not that it you know not that we necessarily want to encourage like punishing a player for screwing something up, but right. I I bet you that player is never gonna forget about concentration spells if the DM is like, okay, are you casting a concentration spell now? Well, then you have to make a spell check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I do kind of like the idea of of uh, maybe a, a specific subclass or a specific ability that is basically you can concentrate on another spell, but you have to take a le- level of exhaustion. Uh, really, really pushing you into the concept of, of like, well, you can, you can push it harder, but mm-hmm. it's, it is very quickly gonna, gonna drain on you. Um, and would you would you use exhaustion as written, or would you play with the playtest version of exhaustion, which just as a cumulative penalty to everything? Oh, I hadn't seen the the playtest version. That's that's maybe pretty fun. Because uh, then it doesn't kill you after 
five levels. Uh, yeah, right. It doesn't. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't immediately. It just accumulates. Uh, cause you to be killed. Yeah. Um, uh, I might. I might do a combination. Uh, yeah. I like the cumulative yeah. penalty, and I like the idea that you know you can't exhaust yourself to death. I also like some of the specific, like your um, speed is halved or your, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hit points are halved, uh, and I think those are a great addition to that to that kind of thing. So that might be like cumulative, and when you get to three, your speed there is a couple halved asterisks. And, yeah, of, yeah, the actual effects. Yeah, um, Man, that half half speed is so brutal. It's like, it's on, brutal on paper. It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but oh boy, yeah, <laughs> well, uh, that's a lot. What would we call that kind of character that could concentrate, but uh, for a price? You know, because there's like the glory, the the oath of glory. Maybe it's like, oath yeah, of... it's kind of like Matt Mercer's Blood Hunter. You're yeah. hurting yourself for more power. Mm. Um, I, you know what? I would in this case because it would be custom. I'd probably base it on whatever the character already is. Oath of the Grind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's or if like it's a, a paladin, right? Yeah. Then it's then it's an oath, but or a, a draconic sanguinator or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, um, that's that's pretty great. It's a, a, a bloodcaster of some kind. Yeah. Um, I like the idea that it's a function of life. This is the cycle of life and death kind of mm. kind of concept. You are literally draining your life force to to power your spells. Like a blood angel. Yeah. Angel. Bl a Blangel. <laughs> Classic Blangel action oh, right man. there. <laughs> now coming to the stage, David Blangel. <laughs> well, Demodius, I, I do think that the that the concept in here of there should be some some follow through with this is a really cool idea. And I, I, I hope that you make it really focused on on the story aspect. I think there's a cool mechanical piece in here, but I also think that the story part of this is is a big part. Also, I'll point out that um, part of the reason that um, I think that sometimes concentration is an unfortunate limiting is because concentration can be interrupted. And so the fact that this character got three concentration spells, which would have taken three full turns without apparently ever being hit hard enough to interrupt any of them, um, is also something to consider in in the potential of moving forward. I actually think that you could play a pretty effective campaign removing the limitation on concentration if you are just willing to make sure that everybody's always rolling concentration checks on spells, and for each new spell that, you, that you're concentrating on, you have to make more checks for all those spells, which makes, sure. makes it far more likely for the spell to be interrupted on any damage at all. That's an interesting hack. I like that. Plus, it means you get to roll more dice, which is fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> always a good idea. All right. We ready to yeah, move on? Yeah, what's our next one? Our next segment is Use That Spell. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Use That Spell. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Use That Spell. We are doing the spell Secret Chest. It doesn't sound like it's a spell. It is a spell. <laughs> it sounds like it's, it's a magic item. It sounds item. like an item. It's it, a high-level spell, too. <laughs> spell, level four, casting time, one action, range of touch, duration, instantaneous components, VSM. The material is an exquisite chest, three feet by two feet by two feet, constructed from rare materials worth at least 5,000 gold pieces, and a tiny replica made from the same materials worth at least 50 gold pieces. <laughs> Who has that line around? Come on now. I mean, I would assume... Given By the time you're seventh level, you you definitely do. Yeah, uh, and also, like very clearly, you are preparing for this specific spell. Oh, hey, hold up! I'm sorry, I can't take that chest. It's three feet by two feet by one feet, and I need three feet by two feet by two feet. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here with I, your inferior chest. I also like the idea that it's like um, you you go to somebody and, and you go, I need you to construct a, a chest, and they go, Oh yeah, I can do that for about three thousand GP, and you're like, No, 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 no. You have. I'm gonna pay you worth, five thousand. Has yeah. to be worth five thousand GP. Right. Put some extra gemstones in there. Could you put some like filigree? Could you put it on eBay or the fantasy eBay? <laughs> yeah, <And laughs> we gotta get the price up there. If anybody will we bid on drive, it, we gotta drive drive it up. <laughs> but not too much. Not no. more than five thousand. All right. Um, the spell says you hide a chest and all its contents on the ethereal plane. You you know what? 
Why am I reading this? We have an actual actor on. Do you want to read the spell? <laughs> All right. All right. You want me to you want me to Dig in here and yeah. get up from there. Really go for it. Yeah. You hide a chest and all its contents on the ethereal plane. You must touch the chest and the miniature replica that serves as a material component for the spell. The chest can contain up to 12 cubic feet of non living material. Three feet by two feet by two feet. <laughs> While the chest remains on the ethereal plane, you can use your action and touch the replica to recall the chest. It appears in an unoccupied space on the ground within five feet of you. You can send the chest back to the ethereal plane by using an action again and touching both the chest and the replica. Woo! Was... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Do you have clapping? Where's your clapping button? I do, I do actually have a clapping button. That amazing. The audience loves it. <laughs> I commanded the audience to stop all at once. That was <laughs> did the, did the, such, the hand such power you wield. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, secret chest, which, again, it feels like it's an item. It feels like it's, well, I mean, it's cool, but why? I have only used it once. Yeah, I just don't see why I would ever use this other than, like, a bag of holding, you know? The... Yeah, boy. I mean, I guess you're making your own kind of little bag of holding. It's a it's a much more complicated bag of holding, basically. Yeah. And I, without quite as much of a capacity, I don't think. Maybe the bag of holding is only two feet cubic. I can't remember exactly now. but Maybe this is for, like, getting rid of something. That when you, I when that I used it, it was, it was sort of like a dead drop where... Yeah. You know, it was a criminal organization that wanted to be able to pay people like absurd amounts, absurd amounts of money, but not have that cash on hand. So the 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 disperser guy would just carry the secret chest around, and then if someone stole the secret chest from him, that was, you know, that wouldn't get you the money because the person who cast the spell is the only one who can actually get the real chest from the ethereal plane. I could see that. So, the, so then the 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 opportunity here is is you can carry around this tiny little box, mm -hmm. and and you got a whole lot of money in this. Other, I guess it's also like a savings account, right? Uh, but it doesn't like take all my money and throw it in the yeah. ethereal plane. It instead. doesn't uh, appreciate in value. It's not there's no, no interest, <laughs> right? Well, and and guess what happened when the party met this guy who was carrying the secret chest. They killed him. Oh. So, yeah. like, so they're never they're never gonna get that chest. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a bag of holding can hold up to sixty four cubic feet of materials and up to five hundred pounds of stuff. That's what this this is saying. Six damn. All in a small, indistinctive pouch, um, but anybody bigger. can open it. Right. Um. So there's. I that. also. I also love the headcanon that the ethereal plane is just littered with chests <laughs> floating in, All in sorts the ether. Of junk or whatever. Right? Yeah. So you're you're sailing your spell jammer through this part <laughs> of the ethereal plane, and you're like, oh, watch out. Like, there's going to be a lot of hazards to navigation. <laughs> yeah, we can't <laughs> map this place because things are popping into in shit. all yeah. over the place. <laughs> if somebody bumps your secret chest on the ethereal plane and moves it slightly, can you still access it? Ooh. Well, I... I, I was also thinking, does the chest stay? I assume it, it it's effectively following you around. It's on the ethereal plane, but when you resummon the chest, it's next to you. It says it appears on an unoccupied space on the ground within five feet of you. So, so wait, thought, now I'm now maybe I'm getting confused. Is the ethereal plane a mirror plane? I thought that was just the Feywild and the Shadowfell. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think the ethereal plane is like a concept. I think it's a it's a tra it's a transitive plane. It's a transitive plane before right? you reach the astral plane. So when you move in and out of the ethereal plane, you don't necessarily it's not linked to a location. It is except no. Wait a minute. I think the spell etherealness. I think it is technically a mirror space because you can because you can be ethereal, right? Right. And yeah. When you turn around. ethereal, you can move in three in in all directions, but you can then pop right back out into prime space. Yeah. Oh, weird. Okay. What gets me is that this box goes away after 60 days yeah. you have to cast it again 
Yeah. It's it's like, and that's where I'm yeah. like, why don't you just? I mean, a bag of holding maybe is harder to get, I suppose. But did, did we read that part? The after sixty days, there's a cumulative five percent chance per day that the spell oh. effect ends. This effect ends if you part. cast yeah. this spell again. If the smaller replica of the chest is destroyed. Or if you choose to end the spell as an action, if the spell ends and the larger chest is in the ethereal plane, it is gone. Irre- irrevocably lost. Yeah. Irretrievably lost. Sorry. So it, the, it, it could break and dump everything into the ethereal plane, littering it with more junk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> as if there wasn't enough junk in the ethereal plane. If you turn ethereal, are you running into all this junk? <laughs> yeah. Or, well, because so to your point, Adam, because you you were asking, does it does it follow you? And that's like if you cast the spell etherealness, would you be able to see this giant oh, chest just could like you open the following chest? someone? Yeah, Ooh. right. Could you pick that lock and the and the person who had cast the spell didn't even know? See, is, is that a way to get back to the chest? Yeah, if you, hacks. If you destroy the so what we need, one. you guys, is an ethereal scout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need someone to go. scout bring the ethereal it, plane. Bringing it together to yeah. see exactly who has chests floating around behind them, and then we can go. Ooh, they have a secret chest, and now I know. <laughs> I will admit this is one of the things that bugs me about D anD D is that is like like yes, you can set a D anD D campaign anywhere, but if your spellcasters start messing around with this kind of stuff, then the ethereal plane has to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's like there's <laughs> right. so many things of the game that are hard coded in there. Um, and and that, now, you, now you have to sort of explain some of this. <laughs> right. Yeah. What is what are the implications of the existence of the ethereal? <laughs> what happens if you're in the ethereal plane and you cast the spell? Oh boy! Oh, no. Where does that's, the chest go? That's another level. That's the next level. I think. Of the I think plane. in that in that case you're getting into uh, you know bag of holding plus portable hole mm. like astral astral explosion territory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> portable grenade is what that is. Right. Um, right. So well, okay. So that leads me to if you have a bag of holding and a secret chest, does that make a black hole? <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd have to assume there's definitely some kind of that. Uh... That takes you straight to Gehenna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's the end of it. You're done. <laughs> you know, um, I I popped into Google secret chest D and D, and I came up with um. This person who says, secret chest, a box of sucking. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems like an accurate uh, assessment. <laughs> yeah, it's from um, uh, cavernsandcreatures.com, the, the world of Robert Bevan, and I, they have a whole rant about the secret chest. It's <laughs> just good. That, that does make me think, though. I did have a campaign once that was doing a lot of outer plane stuff, and there's the, the plane of Carceri is like a prison plane. There's oh. supposed to be... Like you, you can get there, but no magic can actually ever get you out of it. Whoa! And so it could be fun if you started researching these really dumb high-level spells, and you're like, ah, so here's the secret key to get off of Carceri is put a bag of holding inside of a of a secret, secret chest. chest. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> Touch the thing at the same time as another player, and you will right. unlock a dimension door and. <laughs> layers upon layers. Yeah, I like that idea. Well, I'm gonna say it's it's cool flavor and and fun that some someone might have this. I personally, as a player, will not go out of my way to get a secret chest when I could just get a bag of holding or a shovel and some dirt and a map <laughs> with an X. So, <laughs> bury my stuff in the backyard. No one will know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so to you know to I, I think I agree, although um uh, Alyssa knows that I, I usually talk about, you know, this spell is less less powerful than a very equivalent or easier to get spell is a is a pretty common theme on use that spell. Mm-hmm. But in this case, um I will say recently I've been thinking about uh the old spells um uh, and Tad, you might remember this from from second edition, and there were so many spells, uh, some of which were incredibly niche, um, yeah. and and just like really, when would you ever use this? Well, because they were they were selling uh, expansion books, right? And so they, you know, every expansion book had to be chock full of powerful stuff that you could weave in, you know? right? Um, and and they had that uh, the the like tome of spells or whatever mm-hmm. the what was Tell that magic yeah that was like several several um uh volumes large and it, mm-hmm. it it was just filled with the most unbelievable but imaginative 
spells. And this kind of reminds me of that. It, it, it has this, like, why would you ever use this kind of flavor to it? But with this added, like, but maybe, you know, you're, you're breaking somebody out of the prison dimension. Like this is, this is your, uh, your ticket in or, right, right. or, 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 or to your point, like, uh, you know, you're doing a dead drop. Like there, there are maybe creative ways to, to incorporate this kind of spell that you might go like, well, wouldn't a bag of holding usually for the most, most adventurers be much more effective? Absolutely. But this spell isn't the kind of spell that you're, you know, you're gonna put into your into your spell book. This is the kind of spell that you use as a one-off, as a, as a like, oh yeah, this this solves a very specific you're, problem. You're a detective hunting down a murder mystery, and you find a weird token that the person had, and um, you find out later that they cast secret door, but you only have sixty days or secret chest, and you only have sixty mm-hmm. days. Um, to get them to confess or whatever, so that you can get into it, right? Or a um, uh, or a, a powerful uh, you know wizard character is killed, but before he's killed, he puts the the identity of his killer um, <laughs> you know, in his secret chest, and then yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, and then dies and destroys the Ooh. chest, and now you have to figure out how to get it back. Ooh, or something I, like I that. got it. Someone has been using magic jar. And oh. they put the jar in the secret chest. The ridiculousness chest. of magic jar. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I feel like the the interesting parts of this spell are way more about like yeah you would never use this spell but maybe 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 in this one circumstance in this one way this is the yeah. kind of spell that's like it's designed here to make you uh, imagine creatively like what a hilarious <laughs> what a hilarious concept for this I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. put something in that could really use this thing. Does the replica have to look exactly like? I mean, it says it's a replica, but does it have to look it, like? It the only says chest? it's it's tiny replica. It says replica made from the same materials. Right, like is it a tiny little? But like, do you put your like you know um, tweezers in there, or are we talking like? Can can I make it look? Yeah, like are you allowed else? to store other stuff in the tiny replica chest? <laughs> <laughs> and, or jar. <laughs> or once the spell is cast, can you uh, can you weather the replica or like change its its appearance so that it looks like a pen case or you know right. something else entirely? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, it does say it has to be an exquisite chest. It has very specific dimensions, and it has to be mm-hmm. constructed from rare materials. But beyond that, it doesn't say what shape. The exquisite right. chest has to be in a three feet mm-hmm. by two feet by two feet. So I could make like a little statue of myself, <laughs> with right. like a hot, yeah, it, it or could ju- be a you know a, a, a giant one, yeah. and then so I could I, have like a little tiny one. <laughs> what part of the statue do you store all the stuff? It's like a Pez dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> the head, the head sort of goes back, and oh, stuff gross. comes out of the mouth. <laughs> oh man, you're vomiting up stuff. <laughs> and then you, and then why do you carry around that little token of yourself? No reason. And, and what's even better, the little token is also a Pez dispenser, but just actually Pez dispenses Pez. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I, 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 I gotta say. Even though this is not a, a very effective spell, I, I love this spell. <laughs> I'm I'm digging all of the potential opportunities that this spell affords me. <laughs> the not safe for work version of my brain is thinking of a uh, secret chest that looks like Dolly Parton. That chest. <laughs> it's a chest. <laughs> it's a chest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that might not make it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm a fan. This one seems like a lot of fun. I would never add it to my spell book. Right. Um, what spells uh, did you, you prepare today? But if you come across yeah. that scroll, but if I had a scroll of this, I might. A wand of secret chest. You still have to get the chest. You still have to do all the things. But it's got fifty charges, so that's, 50 char- that's pretty. You good. can use it every sixty days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep keep that keep that going. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, hey, thanks for being on the podcast, Tad. We really yeah. appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. This was so fun. I love talking about games. <laughs> Let's talk games. <laughs> um, yeah. And we'll have to have you on again. We were we were just mentioning in the last uh, episode that um, people don't have to send in D&D questions. It can be any right. role-playing game. We, we would love to talk about any and everything. Obviously, we are the most versed in it, but if we were to, say, have other... Um, games that we might not be able to explain as well. Maybe we'll uh, see if we can get Tab back on to help yeah, us. Yeah, there you go. Sure. I like, I like that yeah. idea a lot. 
I'm I'm actually just about to start running uh, a game of Dragonbane, which is uh, in its playtest form right now. I think the full version is supposed to release later this year. Um, but it's a really interesting sort of like it still uses a d20, but all of its mechanics are so different. I'm really excited about it. Ooh, that's very fun. I've, I haven't even heard of it. I'm I'm definitely gonna have to look it up. It's a Swedish Swedish game. Yeah. Oh, nice. Tad, where can uh, uh, people find you, and and when is the next um, uh, kaiju battle again? Yeah, March. Uh, let me get that actual date. One moment. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Yeah, March fifth is the next kaiju battle. Oh, wonderful. Um, and the easiest way to find me is on Facebook, or if you want to play some of the games I've been in, look me up on IMDb. Oh, play, yeah. play me, play me on Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah. Nice. There you go. Um, well, wonderful. Thanks so much, Tad. And thank you to everybody who uh, listened. Thanks for coming and listening to the, the podcast. If you want to submit your own question, you can go to nextsessionpodcast.com. And we are also on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Session. And you can find us on Instagram at Next Session Podcast. Although I need to update it. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. So I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And I'm Tad Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next time and we'll help you prep for your your next session. Goodbye.